This podcast contains a frank commentary of a gay man navigating his way through the gay scene in the 1990s onwards. Although there is no explicit material on here, it does contain mild references of gay sex and drug taking. Although I take full responsibility of my actions, I do feel that the politics and the taboos of the 90s didn't help matters and were a contributing factor to my sexual and drug addiction. If you continue listening, you accept the fact that you may find some of the subjects uncomfortable. Names and places have been anonymised to protect the identity of individuals and of places. Nineteen ninety-six. This was the year I found a gay household in the town I was in. I got to know the landlord and was introduced to gay parties. I think by now, if you've got this far into the podcast, these weren't just about drinks. So even now, if at 22, if I put notches on my bedpost on the number of encounters, I think my bed would just be of sawdust. I was still going to watch Rocky Horror and I did land myself a small but limited full-time job at one of our local hospitals. My weekends were very simple then. Friday night, go to London, watch Rocky for the nth time, go to a club and then to a sauna. It was at this point I found my now familiar haunt. At this time it had a disco with a couple of alcoves for people to get intimate in. I was also frequenting other places, thanks to the gay press for showing me new clubs that have opened. As this was the time that gay adult clubs were illegal, it made more sense to be a promoter than a venue manager. As venues always closed, promoters just moved their night to a different venue. These promoters always had what could be described as themed nights, for want of a more sanitised version of what they are. They had dress codes. Military, leather, rubber. Some had less restrictive dress codes. With the emphasis on the word less. I went with military. For the simple and easiest reason. Is we had an army surplus store in town. It was also the cheapest. For me, it only served one purpose. Get through the door and have fun. Sometimes I was doing Rocky, I would dress up as Riff Raff. So that meant three changes of clothing. One for Rocky, one for the club, and one for the trip home. Go organised me. I was also doing disappearing trips at this time. I would be found unavailable for a weekend. I would either stay around a person's house at the time over the weekend, or I pulled an all-weekender in London. Some saunas were open all night over the weekend, This made it very easy. This was also the time I think chemsex started for me. I do remember taking G around this time and having serious issues with it, either being sick or passing out. You would have thought in 1996 this would have stopped me, wouldn't you? But like I said, the damage was already done by now. So if I take a pause for thought here, I was still trolling around the public loos. I am now actively going to saunas and gay adult bars and having short-term relationships. I was being careful, though. 
I was getting checked up for HIV during this time. How? I do not know. I was lucky. I am still negative. 1997. This was the year of a new job. It was also the year I had a short-term relationship with a guy that lived near my haunt. It was also the year of discovering cruising grounds and another party. It was also the year that it was when I had a toxilectomy and a circumcision. Although not at the same time. Two days before the tonsillectomy was a gay party to raise funds for HIV and AIDS and was science fiction themed. There were places around where you could get more friendly with the other party goers. As I was frequenting different gay bars, gay adult clubs and gay parties, I knew a lot of people there. This was also the place where I met a dear friend of mine. So let's begin with the tonsillectomy. I obviously had it done. I went home and the guy I was seeing said I could stay for a couple of days at his to rest. Yeah, rest. 48 hours after the operation, I'm in a gay adult club and doing things one should not be doing straight after a tonsillectomy. I think it's to be fair to say in 1987, all that HIV and AIDS stuff I learned has been thrown out the window. Looking back, what the hell was I doing? The place I worked was good. They allowed me time off to go to London to spend time up with said guy. Things changed there, so I moved to another branch. It was at this branch I was due for my circumcision. There was a local gay bar near it, too. So sometimes I used to go there before or after work. It made sense. Anyway, back to the circumcision. I had it done, and once I was ready to be discharged, the first thing I asked was, So when will I be able to have sex again? I forgot how many weeks I should. All I can tell you is that I went with a couple of HIV positive guys with a healing organ. Again, what the hell was I thinking? It always boils down to this. My sex drive is naturally high. Cute guys take an interest in me and I oblige. Absolutely bizarrely, with these two activities... I still had a negative result. Remember, in these days, no PrEP, no anti-HIV tablets that made you undetectable, and I'm knowingly going with HIV-positive guys. I will give myself some credit, though. I didn't and still don't care what a person's status is. Before these two occasions, I was basically of the assumption that if the other person was HIV-positive, we take precautions. Now that didn't really matter from this point onwards apparently, and if you think those two dangerous occasions weren't enough, there was more to come. This was also the time I was almost at the end of a short-term relationship, and starting a new long-term relationship. Yes, they both overlapped. I did say monogamy wasn't my thing. So from the age of 15 through to 21, I have no idea how many encounters I've had. I have been with multiple HIV positive guys, with and without protection. In those days, it was dangerous. And things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better. I'd be a fool if I said I didn't enjoy myself at the time I was doing it. But let's be fair, there was guilt every time I stayed out too long. 
and I didn't have to share that guilt with my family and friends if I stayed out longer. Originally, this podcast was going to be a perspective of the gay scene in the 90s, but it became apparent that there was something else at play that I've never discussed with anyone. The reason why I've never discussed these issues is the fact that I never thought I had a problem. And just by saying you have a sex addiction is still taboo and shameful. Also on the gay scene, you tend to have conversations such as So when did you last have sex? Oh, two months ago. Oh, that long? You must be gagging. So if by chance... You came out saying you have a sexual addiction. You'd either be laughed at or have a queue of men wanting your body. Because I was accustomed to hiding my gay life away, I just kept hiding it. Thinking back, it's partly shame and partly guilt. Although, and I keep emphasising at this point, I was still enjoying it. But I still had the sense of guilt and shame with some encounters. Symptoms of addiction, which simply went unnoticed. Possibly, like in 1991, it wasn't talked about. And being a gay man, saying you have a problem with sex, is like having a problem drinking water. 1998 When I was with the short-term partner, I moved to another branch of work to London and lived there for a few weeks. During those few weeks, my dear friend of mine kept coming up to see me. I was clubbing nearly every night. I was only ten minutes away from my haunt, and there was a trolling area nearby. Needless to say, everything was on my doorstep. The short-term partner went away for a week. I had no money even to get to work, and this is when my depression started to sink in. I rang my dear friend and said, If you don't get me now... I will be in the river. I was that low. I was low because I saw that my actions of moving up to London and the lifestyle I was chasing was not a good thing. I know that now, so I came back to my hometown. I came back with depression, sleep issues and scabies. I did get checked out for HIV whilst back and of course was still negative. This was the year I started a drag act with a friend of mine. This was also the year I moved into the House of Gays that I mentioned earlier. The House of Gays gave me access to more parties on and off site. Sometimes when I finished work, there were some in full flow. I was also in a relationship at this point. Again, monogamy wasn't really on the agenda. But then, this particular relationship wasn't built that way anyway. This was the year of me finding the internet. I must say I have fallen in love with the World Wide Web because if you are technically inclined, you can build your own website. I do admit, though, to coin a Spider-Man phrase, with great power comes great responsibility, I missed that memo when it came to the internet. Our internet service provider was AOL. That thing came with chat rooms. Oh boy. There was one called Utopia Gay and Lesbian. I spent hours on that thing. Just like the public loo days, you had the same to and fro. Age, likes, do you have a place? But this was the internet. 
you also had the opportunity to send a photo. These were usually scanned and about the size of a postage stamp. So you knew exactly what you were getting if you got him home. Aye, but remember, this is the internet. Even in the AOL days, you never quite got what you asked for. So there were a few mishaps I had. One was that one guy was simply gagging for it. Another one just kept stringers along with no chance of meeting. And a third, well, let's say the photo and description didn't exactly meet up to standards. But as he travelled by taxi, felt sorry for them, but tried to get them out of the house as soon as possible. At this time, I had another job. This one lasted for two years. Things were more or less stable. I was again still trolling the public loose. I was still going out to London. There were parties at home too. G happened every now and again. But I never chased that. Yet. Something else I found on the internet too. And that was porn. I'm not talking of Xtube or Pornhub, etc. I'm talking about static images. Thumbnails you clicked on and got a large photo. You could right-click and save. Needless to say, I was right-clicking a lot. I spent hours online looking for the next cute photo. I missed waking up to go to work, and this became more and more of an issue. 1999. This was the year I was juggling a drag act, a full-time job, a part-time job, and my sex life along with the relationship too. Mostly, it was stable, which made a change. But getting up was always a problem. I think this is where my sleep issues started to show. I was working shifts, I was staying out late, and I was also looking on porn sites as well. Coupled to the fact that the act meant that we were out a lot until 4am or longer in the morning. If I was doing one of these things, or even a couple I think my sleep wouldn't be in a bad state as it is now. I think the worst ones that have made my sleep the way it is, is the late London trips, and surfing the web for adult sites. Work was good with both the act and me going out. This was the year of the gay nail bomber. So when I got into work, people asked me if I was okay, as they knew I went to London a fair bit. Again, the gay scene had yet another thing you could die from. I will admit, I was taking regular HIV tests at this time. All came negative. But safer sex was always down to the other guy this time round. Whether G, poppers or weed was around. This seemed to be the year I got everything together for once. It seemed that we were close to the millennium. It looked like the 21st century was looking mosey. I mean, we were booked for December the 31st, 1999. This was definitely the millennium of new beginnings. Oh, how wrong I was. Things from 2000 onwards, the next 16 years, were going to take me to places and events that have made an everlasting impact on my life. It's the year 2000. First of all, let me tell you of my millennium celebrations. After the gig, we were going home. Most people had large parties. Some saw the river of fire in London. Some went to clubs. Where were me and my other drag colleague? 
in a lay-by on the A21, still in dragon makeup, with a bottle of Budweiser and a couple of party poppers we knit from the gig. Yap. That is my sum total of the celebrations. My two-year stable job came to an end because of differences. Mainly because I was getting anger issues. I was angry and tired. Possibly because of the late nights with the act, the shift work, not to mention the late nights in London, and surfing for more photos to my ever-increasing collection of scantily dressed men on my hard drive. I jumped from one job to another. I landed another job. The hours were somewhat better. One shift, I had a few hours to kill between the shift and the show. So I did what I always did. I went to the public loo to kill some time before going home. I was standing at the urinal. Saw this cute guy. Next thing, I found my head was bashed to the wall. I was punched and kicked and was told to give over money or he'd walk behind me telling everyone what I was doing. I had no money. So he was going to continue with his threat. So I said, bravely I thought, that it was no point and I was already out. I didn't care if he did or not. I ran to the bus stop, got home and started to pack up everything for the gig. I was an autopilot. The show must go on. Everything was set up. We got there. We did the show. All I remember of the gig is going through the motions, but felt that the people were not just watching me, but also judging me. I remember the lights being too bright and the music too loud, possibly because I was on high alert. This might be the reason why I have difficulty today with loud noises, bright lights and crowds. I don't know. It's just by saying this today, it may shed some light on how and why I have difficulty with these places. I came off stage and I collapsed. I told my drag colleague what had happened. But the official story I gave at the time, I was mugged in my hometown, but didn't say where. For people hearing this the first time, I am so, so sorry... I never told you the truth sooner. Whilst I was working, I suffered seizures every shift. Something was up, and it happened at various gigs too. I left the job amicably, as it was obvious I needed help. Problem is, these seizures happened anywhere and everywhere. I had a crush on one of the guys at home, which went nowhere. I wasn't at an all-time low. I was having fits that could not be described. I was in love that wasn't being reciprocated. And I just had enough. I had enough of what I was doing. There was enough pills and enough alcohol in the house to just end it. So I did. The ambulance came and picked me up. This was the height of the petrol crisis. So I was taken to the local mental lock-up ward. Two weeks later... I was moved to another. I wanted help. But I didn't want to be in the lock-up ward, as I couldn't get to sleep, because at least three people were talking to their voices. It was awful. When I got to my consultation, I acted well enough to be moved to a more relaxed part of the hospital. I knew I needed help. 
I acted so well, I ended up getting discharged. I got home and learned the truth about the guy I had a crush on. So I took another overdose. Ambulance called and I was back in A&D. I did have three weeks with a CPN. They were as helpful as a condom in the Vatican. Apparently, I wasn't mentally ill to warrant any services. My comeback to that was, so how many times do I need to try and kill myself before I get admitted? Can't remember what the answer was, but whatever it was, I was discharged. There were many missing, i.e. I went missing, trips to London. Also many times I tried to end it too. There were other things happening in the House of Gays as well, and things got too much. I ended back at my parents. Still, I'm a bit safer, aren't I? Episode 4 will begin in 2001 and will be available on the 16th of April. I've been told to be promotional at this point, so here it is. Please follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram using at a 90s teen. You can also comment on the episode by clicking on the episode webpage link on your phone or by visiting the podcast page off my website. I'm currently posting Instagram photos and video galleries that complement this series. However, they do explicitly show the downward spiral of an addict so please view with caution. There is a poll on my main website, which I will repost on Twitter and Facebook, so I know which direction I should go after the 30th of April. All votes will be greatly appreciated. Now, back to the credits. This podcast was written, produced and edited by a 90s teenager. All music on this podcast is available at Purple Planet. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please visit the link in the description notes of this episode. Thank you for listening.